This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along on the last day of September. Hoping we find each and every one of you in good form. John Paul and Sadie standing by to take your calls this morning at 1850 And of course, we always welcome your texts and WhatsApps, which are already starting to come in to 0862 103 103. And today being Wednesday, it does mean that Peter Dowdle has been with us for the last two weeks. So people have been holding back on questions. If you have a gardening question for Peter, get it into us, please, throughout the morning and we'll put it to Peter when he joins us, which is after half past 12 uh, today. Now, something that came up on the programme yesterday and something we have been dealing with, we get calls in about it and have been getting calls in about it over the last number of weeks and months, is the issue to do with medical cards for the over 70s. And we spoke about it yesterday because people were wondering when the means test was going to change for the over 70s as had been promised and I made the point when the call came in yesterday there'd be no change at the moment but that we'd look into it and we'd see if the government were going to come out and just give us a definite date on when these changes that were promised last October almost a year ago now and would you believe it's as if the Taoiseach Micheál Martin must have been listening to us because yesterday afternoon the Taoiseach made promises uh, or said the promises made in the budget of last year to extend the medical cards to more over 70s and also by the way to cut the prescription charges uh, for other people who have medical cards he says it will be delivered upon. He raised the issue Seema he was at a private meeting of Fine Gael TDs and Senators and and he said it will proceed and and that they it will proceed and they are proceeding with it. OK, still can't get a date on, on this one. Uh, in recent weeks, of course, as 
as I say, we've certainly been highlighting on this uh, programme the commitment to change the it's to change the income limits for over seventies medical cards. Now it would actually see fifty six thousand over seventies who at the moment don't have a medical card with these new income limits promised a year ago. It would mean fifty six thousand over seventies would get a medical card. And that's a lot of people. That really is a lot of people. And then on the prescription charges, 50 cent is going to be cut from prescription charges for all medical card uh, holders. They were all meant to come in in July. And I think it was in July we started getting the calls. By the end of the July, I think we started getting the calls because I remember when the prescription charges didn't come in, one of our listeners had said that they were expecting them to come in in July and when they didn't I said oh that just must be some glitch and we got on to the pharmaceutical union and they said no that's the legislation that needs to be done the new minister needs to sign off on it and we did, the new minister hadn't signed off on it and it means that prescription charges will and as I say it should have come in since July they will be reduced to one euro per item for the over 70s and for everybody else under 70 who has a medical card the prescription charges will go down to 150 they're currently at uh, 2 euro the Taoiseach did not offer a timeline for the delivery of the promises uh, as I say made now nearly a year ago but he said it definitely will happen so to me they have to get moving on this because we're only 13 days away from the next budget and they can't re-announce it in the next budget. So surely they're going to have to move on it in the next uh, 13 days. So we will watch it with close, close uh, interest and uh, we'll keep you updated. But it is just for the people who have been contacting us, either the people on medical cards that want the prescription charges reduced or for the people who you're one of the 56,000 waiting to get a medical card and you are over 70, it is to happen. And talking of budgets, the front page of the Irish Examiner today is looking at some of the leaks that are coming out about next month's uh, budget. They're saying no increase for old age pensioners. That's going to go down like a lead balloon. Because only yesterday when we had an old age pensioner say, I bet you any money we won't get any increases this year because of COVID-19. Well, it looks like that certainly is going to come to pass. And also it doesn't look like there's going to be any a return to the top 350 euro a week you know the pandemic covid payment it's gone from 350 a week down to the top one has gone down to 300 cabinet sources from across the coalition have said there's only 900 million euro in unallocated spe- spending now that's across all the departments so all of the ministers are going to be scrambling to get their bit out of that pie and that isn't a lot of it might sound like a lot of money but when you're going in to try and divvy that up across all government departments 900 million just under a billion is not a lot of money to be spent across the following year when it, for, for the budget now with just the 13 days until the budget many decisions remain to be finalised but it seems according to cabinet sources the central pillars have been agreed. It is understood. And as I say, this, these are just rumours. Some would say they're kite flying, even though there were strong words from 
the Public Expenditure Minister, Michael McGrath, to say he'll have zero tolerance to anybody who is kite flying. But yet some of these rumours, the rumours always get out about what's contained in the budget. Some of them you can be guaranteed will be in the budget. And I think they deliberately put, put it out almost to soften the blow. But it's not to say that this is exactly what is going to happen in the budget. And the one I think that's going to get the headline the headline the, the headline story is the one that there it's understood that there is no across the board welfare increases traditionally five euro a week is given to social welfare recipients and in particular even in the bad times when other social welfare recipients were receiving nothing old age pensioners traditionally always get their five euro extra and it's almost like they bank on it coming Uh, it'll get announced in October they may have to wait until July but people you know always expect there will be an increase in the old age pensioners will that change between now and when the budget is announced in 13 days it is very likely but as of now it's rumoured there isn't going to be an extra five euro for the OAPs. As I say, the COVID payment of 350, that's not going to return to 350. It's going to stay at uh, 300. Now, the 9 billion that's been spent in COVID spending, that's going to be earmarked. That's what they've spent this year. They're going to earmark that same amount of money for 2021. There is an additional 2 billion in health spending that was made available during COVID-19. That's going to be added to the base, which means the overall health budget for 2021 this is eye-watering it will be 20 billion euro that's an incredible figure that's just the spend on health across 2021 isn't that incredible 20 billion euro the Christmas bonus now only yesterday somebody was saying that they really hope that the Christmas bonus is going to be paid this year and this particular listener was making the point that she uses the Christmas bonus every year to buy her fuel that's what she does with the Christmas bonus she's not entitled to a fuel allowance so that extra week payment I don't know what social welfare payment she's on whether she's an old age pensioner or whether she's on a disability allowance or a widow's pension I'm, I'm not sure what it is but she was saying her that's what she puts it aside for it's not spent on Christmas it's not spent on luxuries it's not spent on buying presents for family members she puts that aside and she buys fuel which carries her over the winter so she said she's in fear if the Christmas bonus doesn't go ahead it's it seems, according to the sources, the Irish Examiner is saying that the Christmas bonus, which is 100%, well, that's what it was last year, of the recipient's normal weekly social welfare payment, is not provided for. But sources within the Cabinet say it will be paid. They just they haven't allowed for it yet, but they say it will be paid. So keep your fingers crossed on that one. For those who are working, income taxes will not be increased. They've been saying that since the new government was formed. Carbon taxes will go up and of course carbon taxes will affect everyone. They'll go from €26 to €32 per tonne. What would that bring into the Exchequer? That means the Exchequer will have an extra £90 to play around with. There'll be a huge emphasis is also going to be placed on helping the struggling arts, culture and hospitality sector and there will be increases in reliefs and grants to all of those sectors. As I say, we do have another 13 days to wait 
to find out definitively of what's in it but that is what is being rumoured that is what is expected to be contained in the upcoming budget as I say I think the one that's going to upset and worry most people will be the news that the extra five euro in the for the old age pension and indeed for all other social welfare recipients it looks like that is not going to be paid out this week 1850 we have job john paul and sadie taking your calls if you want to text or whatsapp you can to 0862103103 um hi i am from west cork this is the text just in and just back to work in early september if we go into phase three again and my i lose my job once again can i uh, reapply for the covid19 payment although to be honest i would rather be working says this texter absolutely yeah i mean if your job if your job has to close down or the business has to close down or for whatever reason you can't go to work because of the new restrictions then yes you can reapply. It's already happened in Dublin, it's already happened in Donegal and we know that Neffet are meeting tomorrow and they're examining if more lockdown recommendations should be made. Everything is pointing to some kind of a lockdown not a lockdown, I'm probably wrong saying lockdown, but it's moving from level two to level three. The counties most at risk are ourselves here in Cork, Galway and uh, Monaghan. And it does look like they are really looking at whether they would lock down cities that Cork City and Galway City would move from level two to level three. But the rural areas of Galway and Cork would remain in level two and that certainly will come as uh, good news and if you're in West Cork you could be lucky to be in the region that doesn't move to level three which means you would be able to stay in, stay at your job but if the whole county goes from level two to level three yeah, don't be worried about that you will be able to reapply for your COVID-19 payment of this and it's all saying do you think child benefit will increase this year in the budget? No. I, I, well if you looking at the rumours and what's been speculated if they're not going to give an increase of their the five euro a week to the old age pensioners if they're not going to give any increase to social welfare recipients then I can't see them doing any kind of an increase to child benefit as I say we have 13 days for the budget to wait to uh, to wait to see what's contained in the budget but there's been no mention so far there's been no leaks to say that there is going to be an increase in child benefit thanks for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and while most people in Cork are getting a bit nervous about will we be moving in to level 3 this weekend will it happen like what happened in Donegal will it get announced on Friday and it'll come in from midnight on Friday reading in the Echo today that confirmation ceremonies in Bandon have been brought forward to this week out of concerns that they could be postponed for a second time because of COVID-19. The parish of Bandon was due to hold its confirmation ceremony on the 1st of April. That obviously was postponed. We were in the nationwide lockdown at that stage. And then the event had been rescheduled for mid-October. But obviously, Bandon now starting to think if we go into level three, that means that churches can only open for private prayer. There'll be no more masses, no communions, no confirmations, no christenings. Uh, all of those would be suspended. So the local parish priest in Bandon, Father John Kingston, made said a decision was taken to hold the confirmation over the next three evenings. Uh, instead, um, um, instead of holding out 
for later on in October and then they could be in level three and the church wouldn't be open to them and he said the parents in particular don't want the children to be disappointed for a second time so the event has now been broken down into three different ceremonies obviously which will allow for social distancing in the church so over the next three evenings confirmation going ahead in Bandon and I am assuming that other parishes may do the same thing because this time last week in Donegal when people in Donegal realised that they were heading from level two to level three there was a mad flurry because Saturday of last weekend there was to be a number of communions and confirmation ceremonies so a number of individual parishes uh, decided to jump the gun and rather than disappoint the children again and they went ahead with ceremonies in the evening I know I was I heard of one parish church in Donegal on Friday evening had two confirmation classes or two communion first of communion classes through their door and then they had a number they had three or four christenings as well that had been due to be scheduled over the weekend but they knew that come midnight on Friday night their church doors would be closed 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 Now yesterday Cork North Deputy Michael Moynihan was appointed as the chairman of a new all party committee on disability to discuss his new appointment and his hopes for the role Deputy Michael Moynihan joins me Good morning to you Michael Good morning. And firstly, congratulations uh, to you on this appointment. Has there never been a joint committee on disabilities before? No, this is the oh. first time. This is the first uh, joint committee on disabilities. And, um, you know, it's it stemmed from the programme for government. It stemmed from efforts that were put in by all of us, I suppose, uh, over the last number of years, uh, being exasperated by the cuts in services to people with disabilities and by not having a, you know, a body to, rather than the sectoral committees, that there wasn't one overarching committee. There was also the um, UN Convention on the Human Rights and to, uh, on Disabilities to make sure that, that was implemented properly. But in the programme for government, there was the setting up of a special committee on disability. This is the first. And believe it or not, we are one of the very few uh, countries in Europe to have this. There's one, Spain and maybe one or two others that have special uh, committee on disabilities. It is a shame that we didn't have this before. It is, you know, uh, all of the struggles that people have with disabilities down through the ages. It is one of the most important committees, and uh, I'm honoured to get um, to be to get this position. The Dáil approved it yesterday, and. Um, I intend to work extremely hard because over the years, right through all my years as a public representative, I've seen the challenges of people with disabilities, of families with disabilities, and indeed of the sectors with the service providers and others who are trying to provide a proper service for people with disabilities. Yeah, because I saw and I read an interview that you gave a couple of weeks ago with the Corkman newspaper in advance of this announcement of this appointment and you you said you intend to lead the agenda. How how do you propose to do that, Michael? Well, I intend to lead the agenda because I believe that we have to, first of all, we I got through the terms of reference we have until um, December to set out what are the challenges. What do we want to do during this period? And I intend to work right from next week, from the first meeting. We have to get the uh, families the people with disabilities, the uh, HSE, the service providers, and all of the disability federations in before us to get their opinion.
opinion of where things are at, the challenges that are there, the raw difficulties that people are having in their daily lives, people that are working with disabilities. Going back over uh, uh, 20 years, there was um, an initiative brought in where the public service would employ people with disabilities. That has fallen off the radar. The Department of Disabilities, you know, has been moved from one department to another, whether it is education or health, it should be under. And uh, even... The Sectoral Committee on Disabilities and Children marrying the department is separate to our committee. Our committee is reaching all of government departments. It has the ability to uh, talk to each and every government department to bring them before the committee and discuss what they are doing, what the departments are doing and where the shortcomings are. You will have to deal with a, a number of different government departments then. We will be dealing with any of the government departments. We feel that we, first of all, we have to deal with health and education. They're the two most important ones. But all of the government departments we will be dealing with. You know, I've seen in my role as a public representative over the years, the huge challenges are there. And your programme has been more than helpful over the years to try and highlight the many issues that have been that have been highlighted and to try and get a better standard of living for those that have disabilities and a better standard of living for the families of people with disabilities. And there's an awful lot of talk about international fora and discussion at international level and all of that. It, Whilst all that is grand to be going around in the background, we will be judged on this committee if we effect change, if we make the lives of people with disabilities and their families better. And all I am going to do is to try and highlight it to the best of my ability. I have given, I've been given this role and I intend to drive it as hard as I can. Uh, I, you know, I have been interfacing with St. Joseph's and Charleville and Cope and other service providers over many years. And I've seen the challenges that they have had to try and get extra money for different projects and different services. And, you know, a lot of those uh, organisations are really cash-strapped at this stage. And it is very difficult to understand the mechanisms behind what is the thinking of the HSE in relation to Section 38 and Section 39 organisations. We need to get the HSE in to spell out exactly what they are doing, what their thinking is, and where the shortfall funding is over 2018 and 2019. On numerous occasions, I raised the issue of uh, respite. And it was always kicked from the political back to the HSE for an answer in relation to it. We now have the ability to get the HSE in before our committee and get clear and concise answers to the issues that are there. But the respite now has disappeared because of COVID-19. Well, I'm only... Absolutely. And we've seen over the last three or four months, the exasperation of families and day service users. Many have been on your programme and I have been raising it at every forum that I can, either in the COVID committee or in the doll itself. And the a, the anguish, the difficulties that families have and indeed the service users, the most important people in the whole at uh, uh, the service users to get back into a routine and to get that back. We have seen extra funding being made available today I believe that we did, you know, rattle the can, for the want of a better word, over the last number of months to try and make sure that there was extra funding put in place. I'm not sure whether that amount of funding will really mean an awful lot to the families, but we do have to get the services back and we have to make sure that people with disabilities have will be empowered as well to seek further education, that there is 
college places, that there is places for them in, in, uh, in further education uh, in places like Mallow and other places to empower them further to integrate those that have uh, complex medical needs and complex needs. There has to be uh, the best possible care given by the state. And all I am going to do, I, I don't have uh, the panacea to try, but all I can do is highlight the challenges that are out there and I intend to do that to the best of my ability whilst I'm in the road. And and I know you've been working because we've spoken to you about it the transport issue or the lack of transport now that day services have uh, resumed while they're not back full time but they are back two, three days a week uh, for most adults with a disability but there's not much point having a service if you can't get to the service because transport isn't available. Any update on that for families? There is some discussion in relation to transport. Some have been offered partial transport, some have been offered transport in the morning, some have been offered transport in the afternoon, depending on case by case, depending on the service providers as well. But that is fundamental. That is crucial to the uh, to you know the whole day services i've spoken with the department over the last number the department of uh, disabilities and to minister uh, Anne rabbit uh, over the last week or 10 days and also to look at wh- how we can possibly you know there's a local link service out there and can there be funding got from that stream to uh, I suppose, to uh, facilitate better transport facilities. The transport, you know, it's always been a challenge and people have always been saying that the transport is costing a huge amount of money. And the transport has to be provided. Every kid, every adult that is looking for a, a place, they need to have full transport. And transport does give a greater flexibility to the families. It also gives, you know, some people that are using the transport, uh, they love the trip on the bus in the morning and the evening. That's part of their day. And we do have to make sure that there's transport there. Uh, it, it isn't there yet. There, uh, it, The question you asked me about whether they, have we news on it, some of them are uh, are giving full transport more aren't. But that is one of the issues. Like, I, I intend uh, to get the HSC in. I intend to get all the HSC sectors right across the country because some of the HSE some are are better than others but but I think it's a typical example of something that can be raised now that we do have a special committee just on uh, disability okay and just before we let you go uh, Michael level 3 is Cork heading for level 3 will it just be the city will it be the county as well some people feel it's very unfair if it's going to be very rural areas of the county where there's little or no COVID-19 well if you look at the the electoral divisions and you look at our own in, in the Kentucky electoral area parts is very low. It will be very unfair if low parts of the county are uh, locked down into or gone into level three and the city. But there is a real crisis. You know, the numbers are rising continuously. And, you know, way back when this started, back in the first week of uh, the first week of March, people were saying, well, you know, there won't be any movement until the May bank holiday weekend, the June bank holiday weekend. We're six months into it at this stage with no light at the end of the tunnel. And people are at their wit's end. You know, a lot of challenges are there. There's a lot of challenges coming into the 
fall of the year as well and people are very concerned about their future and I think that we have to look at the numbers everybody has to act as responsibly as they possibly can we all have a part to play in it and we all have to try and protect ourselves and our loved ones in it but I think in my own humble opinion right now is that if they lock down the entire county it would be unfair to lock down rural areas as well as urban areas if the figures don't justify it and I think that you know right through it people will look for a justification of the decisions that have been made and people have been extraordinarily accommodating and extraordinarily you know working with the system to try and make sure that we suppress the virus and I think that if, if they lock down the entire county and not having the figures to back it up you know people get their backs up then and the, the question has to be is the city uh, to be locked down? If the city is locked down, does that mean that the county is protected? And you know, you look at other places, the rural areas like Monaghan and Roscommon, who have had, you know, there's no major urban uh, centres there, but they're still the numbers are, are, are increasing at an alarming rate. So I think we have a very difficult time in front of us. But I do think that any decisions that are made by NEFIT and by the government, they have to be backed up and justified by numbers. OK, just just stay there because I just want to begin one very quick caller. Breed in uh, Mallow, who has a disability and she wants to talk to you. Good morning to you, Breed. Good morning, Patricia. You you want to talk to Michael? Yeah, I have a mild learning disability. Okay. And Okay, you've got a radio on in the background there. If somebody can turn the radio down for you, Breed, because we're in delay and you're just going to hear yourself coming back and you took get the radio turned down? Yeah. Okay. You have a question for Michael? Yeah, um, okay. I have a mild learning disability and I was wondering about the job coaches at the moment too, with the virus can help people like me get a job or in my situation. Yeah, I, I think that what we need to do, like that's what I said at the very start of it, you know, to empower people that can go into the workplace. And, you know, whilst the private sector mightn't be as accommodating, the public sector has to make places available for people with uh, uh, with disabilities, mild disabilities or any disability in it. Uh, Breed, if you don't mind, if you contact me privately, I will see yeah. what I can do to help you. I would be more than willing to try and help or accommodate in any, or, get, or point you in the right direction as to what uh, what can be done for you. But I would have no difficulty in doing that if you wanted to contact me, if you give your name and or your number there to... Uh, to John the, Paul. We have John it Paul. here and, and, we, and we'll pass it on. And you're with Cope Foundation, is it, Breed? Yeah, I am, yes. Yeah, yes. and are you back with, with your day service? Are you... Ex- um, an outreach support once a week. An outreach one, and what did you have before COVID started? Um, I had two days in Cope. I used to in two days a week there. And now you're down to one home day. No, one two hours. One, ah. yeah, for a cup of coffee or whatever I choose to do. Ah, okay, that's yeah, that's so so tough. Are we? Are we ever? Can you see us going back to full services, uh, Michael? Or will it? Well, are we waiting on a vaccine? I, I I think we have to challenge the system to get back to full service. Why are people that have? And I, I you know, I can't emphasise how strongly I feel about this. Why are people that have intellectual disabilities or physical disabilities who are used to a day service that that was part of their life? Why, because of COVID, we are not looking after these vulnerable people? 
why are we not pushing the system to try and get a full service back for these people? Okay. And I think that we, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to society, and we owe it to these people and their families to push as hard as we can to get it. Now, we won't be able to go back to where everything was last February uh, before COVID, but a service should be provided and imaginative ideas have to be brought up to try and engage with these people because they are a forgotten people in this uh, pandemic. Okay. Very forgotten people. All right, this listen, pandemic. Breed, you look after yourself and we'll pass on your numbers uh, to Michael and uh, somebody from uh, the Michael, somebody from this office will be in contact with you, okay? All right, thank okay, you. look after yourself, look after yourself. And uh, Councillor Ian Doyle was on, wants to congratulate Michael on his new position, no better man for the job. And Catherine was on to say all the best to Michael Moynihan, lovely man, so good when my husband died. Himself and his staff were so good, sorted out all my forms, my pensions and etc. I want to wish him all the best in the future. That is from uh, Catherine. Good luck with the position, uh, Michael. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. You're very welcome. You're very Good welcome. morning to you. Bye-bye. 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 That Bye-bye. is uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil, Deputy Michael Moynihan. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. Now this week, Boss Aaron announced the intercity services face the axe due to the impact of COVID-19. Expressway routes between Dublin and Cork, Dublin and Galway and Dublin and Limerick are likely to end early next year with the Dublin Belfast service to be suspended indefinitely. Chairperson of the Social Democrats for Cork East say the government must step in to save the service, particularly the one between Cork and Dublin. Saoirse Macken joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Saoirse. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. OK, can you outline for us why you believe that the service between Cork and Dublin, why you believe it must be saved? Yeah, so I think this is a really important route and I I think what's very important to point out here as to who's going to be affected is that, um, you know, we hear a lot that, um, you know, it's it's not a big issue that there's, you know, plenty of other, uh, you know, court to Dublin services. But the the reality of it is that people from Cork City or Dublin aren't going to be really um, impacted by this too much, okay? So they've got other options like Go Bus and Air Coach and the train and things like that. The the problem is that the people who are going to be affected are the people from the likes of, you know, Mitchellstown and Formoy, uh, people who are commuting from those areas, um, you know, students um, or workers who need an express service to um, commute to work. Anyone travelling to Dublin from those areas, um, it means that, you know, they're going to have to probably go to Cork to get on a service, which means they're going backwards by an hour in their journey. Um, you know, it, it, it really doesn't... Um, really doesn't make sense and <clears throat> I think what's um, important to um, point out is that uh, you know at a, at a time where we're trying to you know tackle climate change and things like that it's it's about expanding public transport networks um, yeah it's it seems not, not cra- it's, it seems crazy because we're hearing so much about climate change uh, we're constantly you know trying to get people out of cars get them on bikes or get them onto public transport it doesn't it just seems crazy at this particular time that this announcement uh, has been made has bus services on on this route already been cut uh, yeah, there has been cuts through the years, um, both public and private. Air coach used to stop in, in both Mitchellstown and Formai. Uh, they cut their service a few years ago to go uh, um, 
direct from Cork to Dublin. Um, but there has been cuts on the X8 route. Uh, there's also been cuts, I believe there has also been cuts on the 245 route as well. Um, so what would what it be left to it? What would this route be left with? So if the X8 route is cut, the only route that would be left going through um, going through uh, both Manchester and I would be the 245 route. Um, now that adds roughly an extra half an hour onto the overall journey uh, because it also goes through um, Kilworth and Watercress Hill and so on. Now that route is obviously important for people living in those villages um, in those towns but um, the the X8 has been uh, hugely beneficial to people in, in Richardson for mine. Very often it, it, it fills up, you know, very often depending on the time of the day there could be a lot of people getting on a Mitchellstown and it, do, it does tend to fill up quite a bit. Uh, now, obviously, I know that um, uh, passenger numbers are significantly down because a lot of people work from home at the yeah, moment. Yeah, but that's so. because of COVID. That wasn't exactly. the way it was before. And um, please God, it won't be the way it is after um, uh, COVID. Um, but but Aaron is saying, OK, this is all down to money. But Aaron say they will lose €20 million Euro this year. Again, you would kind of predict that with COVID. But they're saying that their projected losses will be the same for next year. So are you saying the government need to pick up the tab here? Yeah, well, well, Siren are, are a public service. You know, if it was a private company that was, you know, um, trying to earn a profit or whatever, you know, they might not be able to keep running if they're if they're losing money. But the reality is that the government have a public service to ensure that people can, um, you know, commute to work or commute to college or commute between towns in in order, you know, whatever to visit friends, family, uh, shopping purposes and so on. And and that's important. I mean, if we look at, you know, the Minister for Transport at the moment is a is a Green Party to pride themselves on climate action as champions of public transport. And I was looking through the programme for government and there's a couple of particular parts that um that kind of struck me. One of them is to protect and expand regional connectivity and connectivity between towns and villages in rural Ireland. And, you know, this is um, completely going against that because it, it, um, it, it really abandons people in those rural areas, you know, because they've got other services in the city and it's kind of prioritising people in the city that, you know, they can use the go bus or the train or whatever. Um, so it, it really does abandon those, um, those more rural areas mm. and there was a couple, um, you know, mentions in the programme for government around, you know, ensuring that transport maintenance budgets and things like that are, are fully protected to ensure continued connectivity. And and these are all the things that were now only, you know, a few months into the government already seeing being rolled back on. And it's it's very disappointing for, for those rural areas. You know, it seems that, you know, people outside of the cities don't really matter as much and, you know, don't have the same... Yes, yes, again, Saoirse, it's as if they're being forgotten about. And, you know, you're right when you say, you know, the public service commitment by Bus Aaron. I mean, during lockdown, Bus Aaron buses were the only service operating in many areas and they played a vital role. They absolutely did. And I, I can see that myself, you know, even um, uh, when we were allowed to start travelling again, um, you know, I was able to... Um, uh, travel back up to uh, back up and down from Cork, um, you know, up and down from my parents, you know, which are just outside Mitchellstown, and and I take the X8 route, you know, and I'm going home. Um, now, when 
that's not available. You know, the 245 is there, but it's not as reliable a route, but it also has a significant uh, amount of uh, time on the journey too. Um, and I'm not confident that we'll see extra investments in that route. You know, I mean, if, if they even... Uh, it's still no um, support for those who need to be able to get to Dublin for those areas, and, and there is quite a few, especially, you know, for maybe elderly people who are trying to make a, a flight or something like that. It, it is important for people to be able to get to Dublin from uh, from that area without having to go backwards by an hour in their journey. Okay, okay. and the Social Democrats, you're now calling on the government to 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 invest in bus airing. Is that what you're asking for? That's very exactly. You know, we, we believe that, you know, bus airing and Erin O'Dearn are, are, you know, have a public service to ensure that people can travel between towns and, and um you know, be able to use um, public transport to get wherever they need to in the country. And it's really important that, you know, um, the government are are providing that service by property funding okay. because we just see cuts and cuts and cuts to public transport and we really see, um, you know, extra services being provided and extra funding being provided for public transport okay. services. Okay, we, we have to leave it there. Siersha, we'll follow this with interest because I know Social Democrats, Cork TD, Holly Carnes is going to be raising the issue with the Minister for uh, Transport. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning. That's Saoirse Mackin, Chairperson of the Social Democrats Cork East at Branch. I, I just missed the Michael Moynihan interview and I heard somebody wishing him well in his new position. What is that all about? He was appointed yesterday as Chair of the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Disability and I think what shocked me the most was we've never had a Joint Oireachtas Committee on Disability which surprised me. So obviously it's come in under health um, to date but now there is an, an actual official Joint Committee for Disability and he was appointed Chair yesterday and someone else says listening to you chatting about disability services well I know personally Munster Special Olympics they did a couch to 5k during the summer months the people involved were all volunteers and they did a fantastic job for people with uh, special needs that wonderful Special Olympics are amazing they're an amazing organisation okay we need to take a break we have news at 11 on the way, uh, we're going to be finding out about that fire that happened in Skibbereen last night at the Mercy uh, Convent site. And also talking with a young mum of two who suffers from a rare condition and she's supporting the Dying with Dignity bill because she wants the right to um, assisted death if the time comes. 1850 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Reports in of a collision on the Kilmallock Road in Charleville. Care, you need to take care on approach. Or that's the Kilmallock Road in Charleville. Reports of a collision. Now, units of Cork County Fire Service battled a major fire at the former Sisters of Mercy convent site in Skibbereen. Our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, joins me. Good morning, Chief Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Now, when was the alarm raised? The alarm was raised just at around four o'clock yesterday afternoon when smoke was seen coming from the old convent in Skibbereen and emergency services uh, responded. There were several units of Cork County Fire Service and they spent most of the evening yesterday trying to extinguish that fire and indeed uh, Cork County Fire Service um, tweeted last night at around 11 o'clock that they had um, made the area safe and that they were 
uh, dampening down hot spots up until around that night. So uh, people would have seen the building, the, the former Mercy Convent and church going up in flames yesterday and what remains of it today. Um, you know, the, the, there's very little really left. It's quite an extensive, building. it was quite an extensive fire. It was, yeah. Like the whole roof was all blown off it yesterday and, you know, it had it had been lying vacant for a long time in the town but I suppose to see a building like that that had been such a landmark in the town and, you know, it was a former school so a lot of people in Skibbereen would have had connections with that building over the years and to see it go up in flames like that yesterday evening brought back a lot of emotional memories for people and they were sharing them on social media last night. Now, the Gardaí are... Um, are carrying out an investigation into the cause of that blaze yesterday and they will be looking uh, to speak to people in the area and they'll be viewing CCTV footage and there'll be an extensive um, examination of the scene as well today. And thankfully nobody was uh, injured, uh, Fiona, uh, but do people living in the vicinity, do they have to be evacuated? Yes, um, there are a number of elderly people in residential care living near that uh, convent and um, I understand that eight people from that centre were evacuated yesterday, um, but I understand that there are no injuries. I suppose there was a fear that they may have suffered smoke inhalation if they hadn't been evacuated to safety, but there were thankfully no injuries to report from this fire yesterday. Okay, all right, listen, thank you for that, uh, Fiona. I want to go to uh, local uh, Fine Gael councillor Karen Coakley, who is on the other line. Uh, good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Karen, I believe you went to school. I did. I started primary school in 1976 with Sister Assumpta. Oh, my and goodness. Very, very happy memories. I'm sure a lot of my classmates now are listening and there's a tear in the eye. Um, it, it was just a beautiful building. It was iconic. It really and truly was. Um, we had primary school there until 1982, and in 1982, um, the new school, St. Joseph's, it was just a short distance away, so we moved there in 1982, and the building just became a secondary school, and it was, I suppose it was 2004, when the Sisters of Mercy, they would have severed their connection then with Skibreen, and sadly then in 2016, it ceased to operate um, on a positive note, mind you, because it was then that the three post-primary schools would have been amalgamated. So so it isn't that long idle then? It's not. I mean, officially, really, 2016. And the reaction to the news uh, locally, Karen? I mean, people are devastated. Um, I mean, First Holy Communions, confirmations. Anybody in Skibreen that's environs, if they think of that, they will automatically think of going to the nun's garden straight after the after the uh, church we would have went to the nun's garden family photos were taken it was the it was really the heart of skibreen i mean it was an icon of the past it's part of our history and you could say the to- the, the soul of the town and its hinterland um it really connected the town what does it look like this morning i was up there about 20 minutes ago and it's it's just so so sad to see it there is an investigation underway i didn't want to go too close i didn't want to be interfering but it's just so sad. You can see it even from the distance and to see the roof gone. And I mean, this beautiful building, it was designed by Pugin. Yeah. I mean, there's so much history going back to 1860. Um, it's just so tragic. Yeah, it's dreadful. I was I was kind of following it on, let's see, one of the great advantages of social media. I know the Southern Star were putting up uh, incredible photographs and uh, videos because this really was an extensive fire. But I suppose in an old building, like that, it can go up very quickly. 
Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt the Southern Star gave fantastic coverage, but I decided last night that I would put up pictures of how it was yeah. and just to try and keep the memory of that. And it was amazing. I've had phone calls, I've had messages from people and just remembering all the times. It was like a palace in the centre of Town. I mean, if we forgot our school lunch, we were taken into the convent and they would make you a sandwich. <laughs> and I mean, as, as children at the age, from the age of four, and to look at this building, it was absolutely magnificent. We didn't know what five-star hotels were then, but to see this building, and we respected it so much. Um, once we got older then in secondary school, if we wanted to take a shortcut, um, sometimes we would try and go through the convent garden. But if you were reprimanded, you were, you were, far, if you were then, caught so. by the nuns. Absolutely Goodness. wonderful memories. But I mean, just to say, the Sisters of Mercy, I mean, we're talking about the building today, but they had such connection with Gibreen. It went on for 144 years. And you could say in that time they made an extraordinary contribution, not just to the educational needs of the area, but Skibreen Community Hospital. They would have nursed the sick, they would have looked after their needs for many, many years. So they were very much the centre of Skibreen. And is there, are there any Sisters of Mercy left? Unfortunately no, not. No, sadly not. No. Sadly not. Um, and the, the, the building then, it was purchased by a company called Remcal Capital. Do you know what, 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 what are or what were the plans for the site and, and how is it going to change now that the, this fire has happened? Now, there is planning in at the moment and I obviously can't comment on that at the moment. Okay. But it was, it is a very positive planning, something that would benefit the area. It would include accommodation. It would be very beneficial and it's a very positive thing as to what's going to happen now. Unfortunately, none of us know until this investigation is um, conducted. And I know there was a rumour circulated that it was going to be used as a direct provision site, but that company, Remcall, came out straight away and said they had no intentions of using it as a direct provision site. I definitely wouldn't believe any rumours on anything. I mean, Skibbereen Geriatric Society, they're instrumental for what they do in Skibbereen. And they were very much involved in trying to bring this um, this project to fruition. And can I actually just publicly just thank them for what they do? I mean, eight people were evacuated yesterday. The geriatric flatlets, the convent flatlets, they provide a fantastic service for people in the community. And yesterday, many volunteers made sure that they were taken to a safe place. And quite often we forget about these great societies. Yeah. And I think when it comes to fundraising, people will fundraise for other things. And very often the geriatric society is forgotten. So I think yesterday, this was at the very... Um, you know, front of our thoughts, really, just to make sure that these people were taken care of and they were looked after. And that's that's a voluntary association, it I is take indeed. it. Is they it, yeah? do tremendous work, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, they'll be having their annual collection now coming up to Christmas time, but they do so much. And a lot of their work, it, it's, it's just not seen, really. It's all done behind the scenes. I mean, they've fantastic meals and wheel service. So for the people that would have been living in the convent flatlets, they would have been receiving meals every day. And it's it's just a superb facility to have in our community. Uh, and what I love about those organisations, uh, Karen, they're looking after their own. You know, that's they what that, that's I mean, it's what something that I or any of us could be availing of. Yeah, yeah. The and they're all stuff. okay. The the eight people who were they in, are, they, thankfully, and yeah. um, there was a major concern about smoke inhalation, but thankfully everybody's okay. Uh, they were accommodated elsewhere last night. Um, not too sure how long it's going to be before they can go back there. Obviously, the investigation now has to take precedence and we'll see what will happen with that. OK, but it's just so devastating to see such a beautiful building it go is. up and I smoke. Mean, we all have wonderful, and I should also say probably weddings as well, all the pictures that were taken. So um, I'm sure many people have the photo albums out today. And, and do people go back there for their wedding photos? People would have had their photographs taken there as well. It's just very much part of the tradition that any service 
uh, communion, confirmation, whatever it was that happened in Skibreen, the convent garden. It was it was a beautiful garden. I mean, um, it was there was a wonderful array of flowers and it was always so bright and it was just kept immaculately. It really was. And we all respected it and cherished it so much. OK, sad day for Skibbereen. We'll keep an eye on this investigation. Patricia, could I just say, please, if you don't mind, just a massive thank you to our wonderful um, people that were out yesterday. I mean, we had all the emergency services and the volunteers that were there. It is a sad day. It could have been so much worse yeah. if anything had happened to the residents living in those flatlets. So looking at the positive, thank God they are OK. OK, well done. Well well done and well said. Listen, Karen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, you too. That is uh, Fine Gael, Councillor for uh, Skibbereen, Councillor Karen uh, Coakley on that. But devastating news for the people of uh, Skibbereen with that convent going up in smoke. OK, back to some of your comments and we were discussing what's been leaked out from the budget, which is 13 days away and looking like social welfare recipients, uh, especially old age pensioners, won't be getting the extra five a week. That's what's been speculated. It is all speculation at the moment. Lisa Mallow says, all I'm hearing about is those on social welfare who will not be getting an increase in the budget. Well, says Lisa, I'm a worker. I'm trying to juggle work life along with everything else and we seem to get nothing. Only pay cuts, but there's never any help for us from the government. Very frustrating when we hear people on social welfare complaining that they are not going to get an increase. What about us, the workers? Well, uh, yeah, I, I feel your pain, Lisa. The one thing, the one positive thing that they are saying, again, rumoured from the budget is that there is going to be no increase in taxes. So that's if you can take that one little bit of a glimmer, even though if you're struggling because you've had pay cuts already, at least hopefully if that comes to fruition after the budget, you're not going to be any worse off than you were the day before it. And then for people who are not happy to hear that there won't be an increase to the old age pensioner, ah, here we go again, says this texter, nothing for the cocooners. The TDs have very short memories with their big fat salaries and their expenses, but we don't, says this texter. Another person says, where where how come they can always get the money to give to themselves when they need a pay rise which they got lately they were able to find that for themselves but they can't give five euro to people on social welfare I feel COVID-19 is only an excuse and Pat says hi Trish same old story plenty of money for TDs and advisors but nothing for the old folk okay that's some of your texts in on this and then Anne says hi Patricia earlier in the year when the politicians were trying to form a government they all seemed to agree that the pension age Raising, rising from 66 to 67 in January of 2021 would be deferred. But since then, we've heard nothing about it. If you look at the department website, it still says it's rising to 67 in January. Have you any idea what is happening and what they might do? Thanking you, says Anne. I can tell you, Anne, there hasn't been a lot of movement on it, but I can tell you that it was the current qualifying age for all state pensions is 66 and Anne is right. An increase to 67 in the start of next year, 2021 and then it's to go to or was to go to 68 in 2028. That was planned. However, under the programme for Government 2020 and it was one of the platforms in which Fianna Fáil went out when they canvassed on the election, they said they did not want it to rise to 67. So programme for Government was formed between uh, the main three parties who formed the government and a commission for pensions 
as part of the programme for government, a commission for pensions will be set up to examine sustainability and eligibility issues with state pensions and the social insurance fund. Until the report of that commission has been completed, the government has decided on its recommendations. The state pension will remain at 66 and the proposed increase to 67 will be deferred. So I don't know, Anne, if you are turning 66 next year and that's why you're worried about it but it has been deferred and we are waiting for the report from the Commission of Pensions but as of now the state the qualifying age for all state pensions is 66 and it remains at 66 as we head into 2021 until the Commission for Pensions uh, gives back their report. So hopefully that's a little bit of clarity for you. We are talking, going to talk about the culling of seals and this is licences that people want for shooting of seals. Somebody says, culling seals, this is despicable. Us humans are slowly killing the wonderful animals out there. Too many children in this country? Hey, let's cull them all. Ireland you disgust me, says a texter. There's strong words indeed. And hi, Patricia. Just a word regarding the NDLS, the National Driving Licence Centres. I'm wondering why, when you renew your driving licence early, that the extra time isn't added instead of being taken off. My old driving licence hadn't expired. And as you're not, you're, you're not notified of renewal, as you have already paid for the previous licence, I feel this is robbery. I feel it's a double payment. It should be dated from when the old driving licence would be renewed, like what they do with other renewals. I didn't realise that. But actually, on your point where you say you don't get notified of your renewal, we actually covered that on the programme this week. We had a listener wanted to find out when your driving licence is up because it's, because it's a 10-year driving licence. You don't always know the date of when it needs to be renewed and was wondering do they contact you and I called that out and we had a flood of people say that they had got a letter letting them know that their driving licence was up for renewal so they do uh, notify you but yeah I, I accept the point it does seem a bit bizarre if you're losing out in a few months because you get the new date from the renewal date what I would suggest you do take your complaint and bring it to the department that's responsible for the driving licence and responsible for the National Driving Licence Service and that's the Department of Transport Tourism and Sport I would write to them and point out how you feel about it and uh, if you do that please let us know how you get on but they do actually notify you of your renewal So, and, and certainly with COVID and the fact that they weren't renewing licences I take it at the moment they certainly don't want anybody going in early to get their licence renewed I'm assuming they're going to wait they're asking people to wait until your licence is due for renewal 1850 333 103 our lines are open C103 Jobs and we start with uh, cleaners are wanted in the Cross Mahan uh, area. It's for Skull Breed in Cross Mahan. Part-time cleaners are required for primary school Monday to Friday during school term. Childcare practitioner wanted for Toons Bridge Play School. That's five miles outside of McCroom. And people are wanted for roofing, labouring and also apprentices wanted for the Canturk area. And experienced bicycle store mechanic slash assembler wanted to work in Cork City. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103.
Now, the issue around assisted dying is once again on the Oireachtas agenda with a private member's bill which would allow people with a terminal illness to be helped to end their lives. It's been tabled by Gino Kenny of Solidarity People Before Profit. Evie Nevin is a 33-year-old mother of two who lives in West Cork and she was diagnosed with a rare condition when she was just 26. And she's calling for this bill to be passed so that she can choose to avoid living in constant pain. And Evie Nevin uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Evie. Morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. And can I firstly say, I think it's very brave of you to go public with your views and your own story. So I suppose, can you outline why you personally feel so strongly about this issue? Um, well, I suppose like the, you know, we know that one in three people um, are diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life, and which means that all of us really um, have has seen the devastating consequences of cancer and have seen people, you know, with very long and drawn out and painful deaths. Um, and this is something I, I've been speaking up about uh, for as long as I can remember it. Even as a child, I always said, you know, how come we can, you know, put animals out of their misery, um, but we don't do it with people. Um, But I suppose my own personal circumstance, um, you know, my condition is not a terminal illness. However, it is incurable and it is progressive. So uh, I welcome the the bill um, to help the people with terminal illnesses um, you know, get that dignity when they die. Um, and I would like to see it expanded at some point in the future um, for people like me who, you know, after exhausting uh, pain options, um, etc., that um, and they have no, you know, quality of life left, that they should be uh, considered um, for the assistive uh, suicide as well. Talk to me about your condition and what is the long-term prognosis for somebody with uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? Ehlers-Danlos Okay, You're It's a mouthful to pronounce in itself. It, it, it is. Um, I, I frequently have doctors asking me how to pronounce it so you're okay. Yeah. Um, a daily basis for me is, is pain. I mean, my pain is very bad now today. I'm, I'm literally shaking because of how much pain I'm in at the moment. Um, and it, it only gets worse uh, as time goes on. It, it got worse in my teenagers. It got worse in pregnancy. Um, it'll get worse again as I get older. Um, the condition causes uh, us to become to- tolerant quite quickly, uh, particularly to opiate medicines. Um, so, I mean, I became tolerant from my medications a very long time ago. I've been waiting now since June 2017 to see a consultant to be put on something else and to try different treatments. Um, there's just a lack of expertise in this country in regards to the condition and the, the lack of uh, political will also uh, has contributed to uh, patients with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome to have become deconditioned, to uh, we've essentially been left to rot. Uh, there's complete denial by the Department of Health and by the HSC that there uh, is a need uh, for specialists in this country and to have um, a multidisciplinary team because the condition, um, essentially for people who don't know, it's a genetic condition whereby uh, you produce faulty collagen. So a normal person's collagen would be like household glue, whereas mine is like chewing gum. So my joints, my skin, my organs, collagen is everywhere in your body. So 
So when you, when, hundreds of symptoms that go with the condition. So when you say, you're, I mean, you're in pain, can you describe the pain and where is the pain? It's widespread. Um, it's widespread pain uh, because of, like, I obviously have, like, the, the when my joints slip out of place, um, it can it causes damage then to the muscles that are surrounding it, the tendons that are surrounding it. So there's widespread chronic tendonitis everywhere. Uh, there's nerve issues, there's sciatica going down my leg. I've got problems with my back, my pelvis is uh, constantly dislocated. Like it, it's never in place. It's it's always out of place, and that causes a lot of the major issues for me, which led to me, uh, you know, being prescribed a wheelchair by my occupational therapist. Um, so you know, on on the days where I'm very very bad, um, with either um, the the pain of of EDS or the chronic fatigue that goes with the syndrome, or with the what are the other comorbidities? Because there are dozens of comorbidities that go with this condition, and uh, that affect, for example, your heart rate and your blood pressure, your digestive system. Uh, it affects uh, your you know there's neurological issues with it as well. So. Um, on a day-to-day basis, like I mean, for example, today now the pain is—it's everywhere. It's down my legs. It's in my arms. It's everywhere, and it, it also tends to get worse when the weather is is particularly bad as well. Like damp weather. Mm, when the, the the pressure, when the air pressure uh, changes, you know. Yeah. Uh, so on days where it's very hot, it can affect me as well. So it's not just. Um, it's not just wet, wet weather. Just wet weather. And does weather. does anything help to relieve the pain, Evie? Um, not that I've found yet, but like I said, I've been waiting since 2017 to see a pain specialist. Hopefully, um, they'll come up with a, a better uh, treatment plan, but I'm not very hopeful because, like I said, the the expertise is just not there. Um, I mean, we, we've been on, I've been on before to talk about this and uh, the fact that myself and my two children have had to go over to the UK at great expense, €20,000 we had to fundraise to go to the UK to to see these experts and and for it to get treatment plans and um, here you know where my consultants are saying look this woman needs to be seen by a pain specialist ASAP and I mean that was three years ago and my GP has said to me that it's probably going to be 2021 by the time I'm seen. And of course COVID now will be used as the excuse while yeah. that waiting list is, is even longer. Yeah. How many people have EDS in Ireland? Have you any idea? It, it's difficult to, to um, pinpoint that because they uh, in the last couple of years um, they have reclassified the uh, criteria for this condition so um, it's now um, a lot harder to get a, an Ehlers uh, diagnosis. There is a similar condition that it was basically the same condition uh, just with different criteria and that's called uh, hypermobility spectrum disorder. Um, it's treated the exact same way as well, and there's like there's thousands of people um, with that particular um, connective tissue disorder. Um, but it, yeah, it's hard to know. Like previously, they were saying it was one in every five thousand with this condition, so not incredibly rare. Mm. And you, it's genetic, so you were born with it. Yet mm. you were 26 before you got a diagnosis. Mm, yeah, um, I was adopted, uh, and my when my biological parents, uh, or my adoptive parents got me and they brought me to the GP for a check, a family GP for a checkup. And even he said, and that was when I was a few weeks old, there's something wrong with this child. She's very floppy, there's something wrong. I was seeing physios, I was seeing OTs, I was going for scans, uh, seeing different doctors throughout the years. 
Um, and then I remember when um, I was pregnant the first time and I went to the GP and I said to him, uh, there's something wrong. I'm in pain all the time and I'm tired and they just put it down to pregnancy at the time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Uh, that was 11 years ago. And then um, when I, after I had my son and a few months later, I went back and I said, look, something still isn't right. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm sleeping all the time. I'm in so much pain. I've never felt anything quite like this before. Like I'd always dealt with pain and, and particularly in my teenage years, my, my, my knees were the first thing to go as a teenager. And I was a very active child. Um, you know, my father will tell you he spent like nine o'clock on a Saturday morning until five o'clock on a Saturday evening, take me, take me around to all my different <laughs> things that I used to do. Um, and then I had to kind of give all those things, all the things up that I loved. Um, so when I went to the GP and I said that, that look, that this isn't going away and you're depressed, is what I was told. Um, and so they put me on antidepressants and I came back and I said, no, this isn't working. Okay, we'll give you another. And I kept going and going and going for eight years until I finally uh, heard about Jailer's Danlos Syndrome. And, and that, coincidentally, you're, you're a journalist. You interviewed somebody and yeah. who had yeah. it, and then alarm bells started to ring. Yeah, yeah, because and, and like I'll always uh, be forever grateful to, to that woman that I interviewed, um, because it was down to her that I found that missing piece of the puzzle. And she did what I've been doing now since my diagnosis, and that's speaking out and raising awareness. Um, about the condition because when you don't know what's wrong with you like when that GP kept saying to me you're just depressed it's all in your head 
that put me in a very, very dark place because I thought, well, none of these medications are working. I'm not getting any better if this is all down to me. I must be mad. I must be mad. I must. I was. I honestly, yeah. it, it, it made me, frankly, it made me suicidal um, to think that I was never going to get better. Um, and because it was all down to me uh, and my whatever brain chemistry or whatever. Um, and that did such untold damage um, to me to, to be told it was all in my head and I was dismissed and gaslighted. And that I remember going to a GP at one point and saying that I was having desperate pains in my chest um, or right down in my ribs. And they were saying, oh, it's stress. And I said, but I'm not stressed. And said, oh, it's subconscious stress. And this is something that so many women with different chronic illnesses come across constantly is this dismissal of, of even when there's like clinical evidence of pain, we're more than likely to be diagnosed with mental disorders and we're less likely to be prescribed uh, pain medications um, that were considered neurotic. And, and then, of course, there's the issue then when your disability or your illness is invisible. Um, mm. it, you face a whole and other that's, a whole and, barriers and that's why even though it's a devastating condition that you and you will live with it for the rest of your life uh, Evie there's almost a sense of a relief when you get a diagnosis isn't there? Yeah it was it was it really was bittersweet when I got the diagnosis and I'll never forget it because actually the, the, the consultant that diagnosed me um, had had said to me as I came in, oh, I recognise the name, didn't you write an article um, in this paper about this particular condition? I didn't even mention that I suspected EDS at all. And then after he did the the, the checks on me and my skin and my joints, etc., and he said, yeah, look, this is this is what you have, and no wonder you were depressed. Uh, nobody was believing you. And so it was a huge relief um, to get that. It was almost like you go on a really, really long hike and you come to the end of the hike and then you see there's a, a massive mountain in front of you. And that massive mountain for me is trying to get the help in this country uh, for me, my children and all of the other people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and other rare diseases in this country. And both, get... both of your children have been diagnosed with it? Yeah, they have. Alex was diagnosed. My son was diagnosed a year after I was when he was four. And then my daughter, uh, we actually knew. Um, we just knew. Uh, when I was still pregnant that she had it um, it was New Year's Eve 2014 and we were going for an anomaly scan because I was deemed high risk so I went for the scan and I'll never forget the, the sonographer turned around to me and, and my husband and said wow you have a very very bendy baby and uh. the two of us kind of looked at each other and I was devastated and um, she was like what's wrong what did I say and I said I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and the penny dropped and she was like oh I'm so sorry I but then when she was seven months, when Olivia was seven months old, uh, she had to be brought to A&E with a, a dislocation of her elbow. Um, she was only seven months and it was it was horrific having to watch her be in pain and not being yeah. able to do anything for her. And, you know, in one sense, we were very lucky that I had already been diagnosed with the condition because had I not been, you know, the type of dislocation that she had is consistent with a child being yanked oh. up by the arm. So I was, you know, nervous about having social services involved and things like that. So had had I not been diagnosed, we could have been faced with that. And it happens an awful lot. And, you know, I spoke in the UK at a conference about one of the types of, uh, of there's 13 different types of Ehlers-Danlos. And one, there's one of them that's life-limiting, it's life-threatening, it's vascular. 
and I spoke at a conference and the amount of parents that told me that their children had been taken away from them, that social services had been involved and things like that, and they were being accused of abusing their children when they were actually undiagnosed with this condition. Because children, we, we, bruise very, we bruise and injure very, very easily. Um, that, re- so that really is shocking. And Evie, I, I mean, you know, you're talking today that you're in, in pain and in so much pain. Today. Are there days when you just don't want to get out of bed? That's that's most days where it's a struggle. Um, to, it's a struggle every day to get out of, out of bed. Um, you know, I have duties as a mother. I, um, you know, in, I fill my days with, with things so I don't focus on the pain so much. You know, it's why I got involved in politics. It's why I got involved in campaigning and getting involved in, in, in projects locally as well. And this is my way of contributing to society. I'm not able to work um, and I want to be able to do something to pave the way for the people behind me, for my children, for example. I don't want them to have to go through all the same stuff that I went through when I was growing up and, and uh, prior to diagnosis. And even with, with waiting and waiting for... Um, help. And so then, you know, to hear your views on if it ever happens that you get to the stage where you feel you have no quality of life and you feel you would like this choice of assisted dying, is that something you've discussed with your family? I've discussed it with my husband a a number of times. I believe I discussed it with my my dad on occasion as well. Um, You know, that they completely understand that um, it's a daily struggle for me that it's pretend because of the because basically I was left um, so long without any health uh, medical health that um, you know a lot basically this the, where I am now um, there's no kind of fixing most of it um, the damage has been done to my body and um, you know they understand how difficult it is I mean they are the two people that see me day in day out and they see me struggle they see me have good days but they've seen the bad days where most people haven't seen the bad days um, so I mean they they're, they completely understand and and they support me and they know that this is this is not something I'm asking for in, in a, in immediate future this is something after I've exhausted all options and that um, my quality of life is, is nil yeah, uh, that's you, what I'm asking for. Yeah, you you um, very much want to stay alive, but it's the it's the quality of life. And when you decided to go public with it this week, uh, Evie, what was the reaction from friends? Um, I have a very small group of like, friends. I've said previously that um, over the years, because of how. Uh, I was prior to diagnosis and, and even after diagnosis, people didn't understand the condition. So I was often accused of just being lazy or not arsed. Um, and, think, and people didn't understand, especially with, the, the, like I said, it's an invisible illness. Um, you, know, you wouldn't know to look at me that there was something wrong with me. Um, so it's like, it's it's been mixed, uh, I'll be honest. So uh, a lot of, like my close friends are all very supportive. But again, they know what it's like for me on a daily basis. And, you know, so um, there's obviously people who are like, you know, don't, they don't want me to to be thinking like this. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, right, yeah. You know, um, and it all comes from, it all comes from a place of love. Absolutely, Um, absolutely, absolutely. And do you believe that Ireland as a country, are we ready to have the conversation? Because it's a very emotive 
issue, uh, Evie, the whole issue of assisted suicide or assisted dying, whatever way you, you want to phrase it. Do you think we're ready as a nation to have that discussion? Absolutely. I think this is uh, another bodily autonomy issue. Uh, this is another issue where this country has exported, another uh, issue where we've exported our problems to other countries. Um, you know, people have had to travel abroad uh, for assistive dying, um, just like we did prior to repeal, just like we do for patients like myself who've had to go abroad or people go to the north for operations, etc. It's time this government stops exporting our problems and deals with it ourselves. There is a want, there is a call for this. Um, You know, the majority of people um, are very, very much in favour of this. But I have to say that just, I want this to be brought in for campaigners like Vicky Phelan and and, um, other uh, cancer patients who are terminal. I want it brought in more for them than, than for myself, obviously. And I, I she was. I, I thought. Was. I thought Vicky Phelan's contribution was uh, was just remarkable, and you know, yeah. to, and to hear her talk, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't want her children to watch her. No, no. And I know people will say we've got palliative care, we've got, and we do have wonderful hospice care, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work for everybody. No, it doesn't. And saying that, and, and this that's the point I wanted to make. If this is brought forward, it does not mean that palliative care and end-of-life care, the standards can drop. Every option should be made available available to the patient and all options should be of the same high standard. It's not an option for everybody. This dying is not an option for everybody. It's not a choice for everybody, but it should be there for those who, um, who want to avail of it and who don't want a, a long, drawn-out uh, death. You know, it's it's at this point, it's to make people do that. It's it's cruel. It's absolutely it's that's what it is. It's cruelty to to make people suffer needlessly. And it's also not euthanasia. They're two no. very different things. Because yeah. I know the last time we discussed it on the program, we had somebody saying, "Oh, you'll have every elderly person terrified of going into yeah. hospital I mean, they because they're going the to be same. put down." That's not that's not what yeah. assisted and suicide, assisted dying is. The same rhetoric was used, uh, you know, in other bodily autonomy uh, bills, uh, such as the repealing of the Eighth Amendment. You know, the slippery slope line was used uh, frequently. But I mean, and and, and people, um, and I know that people are, are genuinely um, concerned um, about safeguarding, and and that's a very valid point. And I would also be concerned about safeguarding. Um, but it's not going to be a case of where let's say a person has a relative and, and they get to decide that the relative dies. Well, it's, it's the or, person you know, themselves. It's it's the per- a, and, yeah, and, and there will be so many going... checks put, put in place. Interesting that you mentioned a referendum. Would you be for or against a referendum on the issue? Because I know New Zealand are having a referendum on, on this very issue. Would you be for or against that? Well, we actually don't need a referendum um, to bring this uh, forward. Um, there's nothing in the constitution that would um, prohibit us from putting forward legislation. Um, now there is talk of a citizens' assembly, and that has also all it's worked very well in the past. Um, but I am concerned that this is going to be kicked down the road by the government, and then campaigners uh, who've been on this for years, like Vicky and like Tom Curran, whose wife uh, went to the high court to try and get the right to die. Um, you know, I, I want 
I just fear that, um, you know, they're not going to get their wish. Well, um, I'm even reading today, Gina Kenny, who was proposing at the bill, uh, the government wants to delay the passage of mm-hmm. the bill. And Gina Kenny, yeah, Gina Kenny is expressing his deep disappointment at this, at this decision. And he's just afraid that the move, as what's been suggested, that the bill will never see the light of day again. It'll yeah. just get brushed under the carpet. OK, well, it certainly is an issue that as contentious as it is, but it's an issue that's not going away. Uh, Evie, all we can do is wish you the very best. Thank you. Uh, we hope you do get to the pain management uh, clinic and that they can do something to help you so that you're never in a situation where you would need a bill like this. But I really admire your honesty and uh, thank you for going public and talking to us today. Thank you so much for having me. Good on. morning to you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Evie Nevin, who suffers from a very rare condition called Airless Danlos uh, Syndrome, and she just lives in constant pain. 1850, it's a tough journey. 1850, 333, 103. John Paul and uh, Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 Looking for your gardening questions for uh, Peter Dowdle, please. He'll be joining us in the next hour. We're also uh, going to be getting reaction to a pilot scheme to cull seals by using high-powered rifles on boats to shoot the seals. We'll be finding out more about that in the next hour. We'll also catch up with a number of calls and comments that'll be coming in throughout the morning. Keep them coming. 1850-333-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Now, in the last hour, we were talking about how people of Skibbereen absolutely devastated with the blaze that occurred yesterday at the former Mercy Convent in in the town of Skibbereen. You know, people having their memories of going to school there and, you know, Karen Coakley, I thought, spoke so beautifully about, you know, communions, confirmations, even when people got married, they went back to the nun's garden to have photographs taken and people have such wonderful memories. So there's, people are really, really devastated and the pictures that I've seen online, I mean, the building, this glorious building has just been absolutely destroyed because of that uh, blaze that broke out about four o'clock uh, yesterday. But then that also led us to talk about the Skibbereen Geriatric Society and the fact that some of the residents of the geriatric uh, society they live in in little apartments they had to be moved because they were close to where the fire was and thankfully they're, they're all okay but we spoke also about the fact that the Meals on Wheels service is provided by the Skibbereen Geriatric Society and the fantastic work that they do that prompted Helen when she heard us talking about it to ring in to say when you're talking about the Meals on Wheels and the Geriatric Society can we all please think of the late Margaret Ryan Margaret was a great woman said Helen who started those small houses that we were speaking about that the people got evacuated from yesterday and she also started the Meals on Wheels in Skibbereen near the convent uh, and can we just remember her today from all who have benefited either from those little small apartments and from the Meals on Wheels over the years uh, they gave warm hot meals to so many people and it's only right and proper if we were talking about Skibbereen Geriatric Society in Skibbereen that we mentioned the late uh, Margaret Ryan so I did a quick Google Google search just to find out a little bit more about the wonderful Margaret at Rhyme. And she only passed away. She's not dead that long. She only died on the 4th of uh, September. 
and along with her her late husband Seamus they didn't have uh, any children but that didn't stop them having such a positive role in the lives of countless others and they looked like both Margaret and her husband Seamus they looked like real doers and you know they whatever they could do for the community they did and Margaret actually died listen to this she died on the 4th of April this year and what's so poignant about her dying on the 4th of April was it was also the same day as her wedding anniversary to Seamus but it was also the same day that Seamus passed away six years previously isn't that unreal so they both they got married on the 4th of April and they both six years apart passed away on the same date and there's a lovely obituary I'm reading online that is in the Southern Star that would have been in the Southern Star the week after Margaret passed away where they speak about just the amazing work and what Margaret was involved with in particular the work that she did with these you know the setting up of the Meals on Wheels and she's a founding member of the Skibbereen uh, Geriatrics Society an organisation where she brought care and comfort as well as lightness and joy to people. So it's only right and proper that we remember the late Margaret Ryan uh, today. Uh, May she continue to rest in peace. So thank you to Helen, by the way. Thank you. I was unaware of that, of Margaret. So thank you for sharing that with us uh, today. 1850-333-103. Can I just take a look at some of your calls coming into the programme? Thank you to Hannah who joined us on the programme yesterday. It was when I was speaking with Councillor Noel McCarthy. Hannah got on to us because she had a problem with her chimney in that the chimney was broken. There had been work done by the council and in some way her chimney got damaged and I think she, well, she certainly shocked me when she said her last electricity bill was €500 Euro because her only way of heating the house is with is the electric heating. So she paid €500 Euro because her doctor says that she has to have heat on for whatever condition uh, Hannah is currently suffering from. So in fairness to Noel McCarthy he said look pass on the details and I'll see what what I can do and Hannah was back on uh, to say that Noel got back on to her yesterday after we had the chat on air and he's going to contact her over the weekend she just wanted to thank us for uh, our help but we did nothing we just you heard Noel you came on and let's see and Noel is a great guy as indeed are all local councillors you know I think politicians we give out enough about them but when they when you go to them and you're looking for help and if they can do anything for someone they they you know they go above and, above and beyond so uh, well done Hannah keep us updated and please God that chimney will get sorted out because it's the 1st of October tomorrow we're heading into the winter months you need to be able to light your fire and you need to be able to turn off the electricity so that you don't end up with another bill I listen I don't know what I would do if I discovered my electricity bill was 500 euro it's an incredible uh, sum of uh, money continue good health to you Hannah on prescription charges, Micah said, it is totally unfair that the over 70s are suffering. The medical card prescription charges were meant to drop on the 1st of July and it hasn't. This is what one I mentioned earlier. Uh, but Michael says, when I made inquiries, they said it probably won't happen until the next budget. Well, we're only 13 days away from the next budget and Micheál Martin raised the issue yesterday and said it will happen, but I still don't have a date. So whether I would like to think the fact that it got mentioned yesterday within a Fianna Fáil parliamentary meeting that it will happen before the budget which means it will be brought in within the next 13 days and it only is a piece of legislation that needs to be signed off you know they make they make all these announcements 
on the day of the budget and I know it infuriates people that if they want to put up something they'll sign the legislation so that the the price of the packet of fags or if there's excise duty to go on petrol whatever it is or on the bottle of wine or on the pint of beer they'll put that legislation through immediately and it'll go ahead as of midnight that night but when there's any kind of increases it's got stretched out further and further in recent years and now we're getting used to you get the announcement in October but you don't get the increase until July but it's still a piece of legislation that needs to be signed and it needs to be signed off in this case by the Minister for Health so it's from, from what I can see any research I've done it's just a matter of signing a piece of paper now I know before people say don't be so silly there's a cost factor of course there's a cost factor but they factored in the cost factor when they announced the budget back in October. So I don't know why. Um, I, they'll blame COVID, I suppose, as to why it didn't come in in July. So, Michael, they, Micheál Martin's certainly aware of it and they are talking about doing it. It will affect the prescription charges and it will also give a full medical card to 56,000 people who are over the age of 70. On the leaks from the budget, Grace says the public servants and TDs can get their 2% increase and yet we're now hearing that old age pensioners who paid taxes for many, many years and they won't give them the miserable fiver this year if what we're hearing comes to uh, pass. James, by the way, this is on driver's licence. James contacted us to say, just to let you know, I didn't get written notification to renew my driver's licence. I ended up booking myself on, uh, booking it myself online. OK, uh, the reason that I mentioned that people were getting notifications was this came up last week when somebody was asking, would they get a notification in the post? And we were flooded with calls and texts and WhatsApps and people saying, yeah. I got a notification to say my driver's licence was up. Now, I don't know, have you changed address? In Obviously, it's, it's on the last address that they have for the driving licence. That's the only thing I could think of why you didn't get it. But certainly lots and lots of people contacted us last week to say that they did get it in the post. John in Cove says, when old age pensioners are complaining if they don't get an increase in the budget next year, John wants them to ponder on who is to blame if there are no increases in the budget because John says it's the old age pensioners themselves as they vote in the same parties all of the time. So John says old age pensioners can blame themselves. Fianna Fáil cut the Christmas bonus going back and now they're back in power and we're hearing there will be no social welfare increases. So the grey vote, oh, that's harsh words John, the grey vote is to blame. John in Mallow wants to react to Lisa. Lisa had contacted us earlier to say she's sick to the teeth of hearing people on social welfare and old age pensioners complaining that they're not going to get any increase in the budget and she said she's working all she's getting is pay cuts, workers get no help at all from the government and she's sick of hearing people on social welfare complaining because they're not going to get an increase. Well, John in Mallow says, can you please tell Lisa, who says she is working hard and that not getting an increase? Well, says John, I worked all my life, but then unfortunately I got an illness which stopped me from going to work. I would love to be able to go to work every day. So John says maybe Lisa needs to realise this. She should be glad that she can get up every day and that she can actually go out to work. 1850-333-103. And some listeners have contacted us looking for help. Joan was on. She found a little kitten yesterday while out walking near the Limerick Road near Tupac House. 
She says, has anybody in that area lost a little kitten? She describes it as grey and brown with a little white face. Oh, kittens are adorable. Grey, brown with a little white face. Anybody lost a kitten? The Limerick Road out around about two pot house. Joan is looking out for out is looking after at the moment. 086 1086 465. 086 1086 465. And then Noreen was on to us to say that she has a lot of what she's describing is used Christmas candles, you know, sort of pillar candles and they're only burnt maybe halfway down or a quarter way down and she's ended up with a load of them that she needs to dispose of and she just doesn't know how do you dispose of them? Where do you... Now, I... It would be rare, Noreen, that because I burn a lot of candles and I usually burn them right out to the very end. So what I have left would be only a very small amount and then I certainly put it into landfill I don't know anything else that you can do with the ends of candles if any environmentally friendly person can tell am I doing the wrong thing by putting it into landfill if you were anyway crafty or clever you could melt it down and make another candle if you wanted to do that uh, Noreen get yourself some wicks and make another candle but failing that you just, you, you're just you sick of them you're doing a bit of a spring clean you want to get rid of it anybody know the correct way to dispose of the ends of candles do you put them into landfill or what what you actually do uh, with them 1850 when somebody was wondering about pensions and we were, we were led to believe that the age that you get your old age pension was to go to 67 from January of 2021 but as of the programme for government Fianna Fáil are dead against it they have held it at 66 and somebody was wondering is that still going ahead what's happening with that well Eileen in Mitchestown says uh, Patricia my husband will be 66 in February a couple of weeks ago he received a pension application form in the post so by this we think the pension will be paid to him at 66 years of age next year by the way he didn't request the form it just uh, arrived yeah and that's generally speaking what happens and he would have Eileen been one of the people who would have been caught he would have been affected he would have been waiting another year because the 67 would have kicked in in January he would have been just a month outside the date so Eileen tell him get that form filled in ASAP and get it back to the powers that be and hopefully he'll have a nice long enjoyable retirement and thank you Eileen for sending on that information to us and Maura says uh, Trish don't mention driver's licence to me please mine was out in May so I made my appointment with the NDLS centre my nearest one being Tralee got my appointment and off I went handed in to a lovely girl inside in the NDLS and she said oh sorry you were taken off the list I never got an email or a letter or a text nothing from me to say my appointment had been cancelled and she told me you've got to go away now and make another appointment for November says Maura oh god that is frustrating and I I know exactly what happened there Maura all of all driving and this is to do with Covid all driving licence that expired between the 1st of March and the 31st of August they were automatically extended by seven months in total and that's what happened and obviously somewhere in the mix of all of that you were unaware that your licence had been extended so you went away and made the appointment and then they just simply started cancelling any of the appointments whose licences got extended now we did hear of people last week who got texts from them or an email to say your appointment had been cancelled but and I don't know how far away you are from Tralee but that's frustrating to make a journey to go somewhere to discover that the appointment was cancelled and that they never told you and yes 
So yours got extended from May to November so you can make a new appointment. Now hold off though and I would check in if you have access to online, check in with the NDLS because they're really good about putting up all of the updates. I mean, I just clicked on the NDLS .ie website and straight away the important notice came up. I mean, they're giving, they're giving, for example, advice to people in Dublin and Donegal because of the new COVID restrictions there and they move into level three. But they also give information about the extension of the driving licence and they actually have, and I don't know if this is new or not, but they actually have a calculator whereby if you are booking your appointment, you can check when your driving licence is actually going to expire and there's a calculator on it that you click and you put in your driving licence details and they will tell you exactly when your driving licence is out. So to anyone trying to well, anyone trying to book will be on the website anyway, but you can check in with the website before you book because I would hate to think of somebody else in the same situation as Maura getting an appointment and somehow along the line it gets cancelled and the information isn't relayed to the person and they end up at the test centre. And Michael wants to comment on something. Now, I haven't seen except I just heard clips of it this morning on the news and this is the first presidential debate in America went ahead last night and Michael says Patricia Hi Donald Trump is the chief clown in the American circus last night's presidential debate was the greatest embarrassment that the American people surely have ever witnessed what a mess marked by insults nasty and uncalled for interruptions it hit an all-time low I feel in American politics with little or no policy discussion it is impossible to debate Trump he is one of those village idiots who always sounds so supremely confident regardless of the deranged nonsense that spews out of his mouth. You're not a fan then, I take it Michael, of uh, Donald Trump who ends his text with Donald Trump is an authoritarian nightmare, not only to the American people but to the whole uh, world. I haven't seen it I know I will be able to, if I can put up with two hours of it the bit I heard they both just seem to be sniping at each other and it was just an exchange of insults. And I actually felt for the guy who was trying to moderate the debate, it was impossible to moderate a debate like that. And of course, it was a, it was flat as well because they didn't have the usual audience where you would have had people whooping and cheering and all of that. Obviously, because of COVID-19, they, they can't have that. Will I put myself through hours of it? I probably won't. I'll probably just go to the edited highlights because I don't think a debate like that, you can watch it, Michael, and actually learn anything from it. And I don't know how many people stayed up to watch it live because I know they were showing it live at two o'clock uh, this morning. 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming because Peter Dowdell joins us after half past 12 today and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Development They've got their weekly lotto draw It's happening tomorrow Thursday 1st of October Kildallery Community Centre 4 o'clock in the afternoon They've got a jackpot this week of 1,000 uh, euro. Castle Magnor Autumn Parish Cleanup that's going to be held next uh, Saturday. New members and helpers are welcome and if you're going along please bring your own gloves. And Canturk Penny Dinners Collection will be held in the Trade Union Hall in Canturk next Sunday October 4th. The collection will run from 11am to 1pm. Items acceptable are cash, perishable goods and home baking and you're please asked to support. And the Clada National School Parents Association are currently 
running a fundraising clothes collection. They're doing it every Monday evening between 8pm and 9pm in the Parish Hall. Collections every Monday night up to and including the 2nd of November. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, earlier this week, it was reported that the government was examining a pilot scheme to shoot seals with high-powered rifles from boats. According to the Department of Housing and Local Government, there have been three licence applications in this area, two from Kerry and one here in Cork, to allow culling of seals. It's to protect fishermen's catches. Melanie Crossy is uh, Executive Director with Seal Rescue Ireland and Melanie joins me. Good afternoon to you, Melanie. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to, to the programme. I always thought that seals were a protected species in this country. Yes, you're absolutely right. They are protected under the 1976 Wildlife Act and they're also protected under EU, which is the Habitats Directive. So it is illegal to harm, harass, injure uh, or hunt uh, both grey and common seals, which are both native seals to Irish waters. So surely a licence could never be granted to shoot them then? Well, um, in in specific cases, they can uh, issue license for specific seals. Um, if there are certain seals that um, have learned, you know, certain things that can kind of get them into trouble. Um, seals are very um, intelligent animals, so some of them might learn how to get into fishing nets. But um, overall, uh, there's only eight to 10,000 gray seals in Irish waters, and they have come close to extinction in the past in these waters. So it's incredibly important to protect them. I think that the wider issue here is fish stock decline, which I think we can all agree on that our, our marine biodiversity is in a lot of trouble. And that's, you know, that is harmful to not only fishermen, but it's also harmful to seals and dolphins and sea turtles and everything else that relies on fish to survive, as well as uh, potential ecotourism jobs. But, uh, but know, we can't, but therefore we can't blame seals if there's low fish stock, surely. Well, exactly. The reason that there's low fish stocks is because of um, environmental degradation due to human activities. So that's habitat loss and climate change and pollution and overfishing. In fact, in 2019, 22% more fish than was recommended by scientific evidence was taken out of Irish waters. And many of that came from large-scale non-Irish fishing vessels. So that's really going to negatively impact you know, small-scale fisheries as well as seals. Are there... Are seals plentiful off the coasts of Cork and Kerry? You know, that's actually the uh, the stronghold for the entire Irish population um, because there are vast expanses of the coastline that are inhospitable to seals. For instance, um, we're located in Wexford and there are very few seals that can actually haul out here and rest on land. Um, they need to rest on land for about 50% of their life to, to rest and to rear their young and to molt and breed. And if they don't have protected beaches in order to do that, then they have to cluster up on offshore islands where they can try to escape from humans. So that's why we do see a high concentration of seals in certain areas where there are fewer people. Um, but not only are those areas stronghold and important for the Irish seal population, but it's actually uh, important for the whole global population. There's only 300,000 grey seals in the world, which is fewer than African elephants. Wow. So it's really important that wow. we protect them. Because I know one licence uh, to shoot seals on the Blasket Islands was refused. Do you know why? 
Absolutely. So that is actually a special area of conservation designated specifically for the gray seals. Um, the reason is exactly what I just mentioned. They're, they're not really able to cluster in high amounts in other areas. So the blaskets were identified as a really critical habitat for the survival of gray seals. So it wouldn't make sense to go, um, you know, shooting seals where they, where the whole population basically is. That, that would be detrimental to the entire Irish population. Does the idea of shooting seals from boats horrify you? It seems very unsafe. Um, you know, from a moving platform, high-powered rifles, you know, those bullets can travel two miles. So there's a lot of, of health and safety risk for humans as well as seals. I don't imagine they'd really be able to humanely um, kill a seal from a moving platform because they, they wouldn't really be able to to um, aim properly. But I think that the really important thing we need to remember is that these are native species that have lived in Irish waters for millennia. And they're actually responsible for helping fish stocks um, evolve to where they are today. They're uh, a keystone species, which means they're critical to a healthy marine environment. So if we took the seals out of the equation, that would just do worse for our marine biodiversity instead of better. So we really need to look at the whole ecosystem and really work to protect our, our water quality um, and to protect our kelp and seagrass beds. Not only is that really important for fighting climate change, but these habitats are essential uh, fish nurseries. So if we're not protecting the habitat for fish to go and reproduce, then we will continue to see dropping fish stocks, which we have been seeing for decades, and it will continue whether or not seals are present. I mentioned that you're with Seal Rescue Ireland. Do you rescue many seals every year? Yes, so we have usually around 120 to 150 seals per year are rescued. Um, and we are the only seal rescue center in the Republic of Ireland. So we're taking them from all over the coastline. Um, in fact, this year we've had a record-breaking number of common seals this summer. Um, and we think it's just because of the increase in storms. Um, with climate change, we are seeing more and more really severe storms. And it makes it really tough these young seal pups to survive and this is before um, they even are able to go out in the wild and try to try to hunt but there's just so many um, things that they're up against uh, like plastic pollution and and water degradation and coastal erosion and and storms Um, and of course human disturbance you know people love love the coastlines we love to walk on our beaches we've got beautiful beaches here in Ireland Um, but we just do need to make sure that we remember that we have to share this habitat with these native animals that are essential to our ecosystems. They're, they're a part of our culture and our history and our heritage. Um, and, you know, there's a, a growing movement to really focus on conservation and outdoor recreation, especially with COVID. Mm. So there are lots of potentials for ecotourism jobs, like um, boat tours and kayaking tours, and that could really grow into the future. And they're a gorgeous creature, aren't they, seals? <laughs> They are. They're closely related to dogs. And if you ever come to our centre and see them up close, you'll really see that similarity. Um, they've got the cute, the, the big cute puppy eyes and yeah. they all have unique personalities. Um, but, you know, overall, they are wild animals. And our goal is to always get them out into the wild where they can do their job, um, be an, an essential part of the ecosystem and just, 
you know, so so our future generations can enjoy looking at them as well. Okay, and I can see a lot of people when I mentioned that you were coming on, a lot of people absolutely horrified, people absolutely loving uh, seals. Uh, Bernie says, what are seals doing to anyone only trying to survive just like the rest of us to hear them sing early in the morning? Do they sing? They do. They love to vocalise, especially the grey seal pups. They, they really talk to you a lot, and that's how they kind of interact with each other as well. Um, they have to communicate. So, yeah, they're, they're really beautiful, amazing animals, and they are. They're just trying to survive, and their numbers have nearly been wiped out before, and it could happen again if there were a disease outbreak or if fish stocks continue to decline. So I think the answer is we all need to work together, the fishing community and conservationists and just the wider public. And if we can restore our habitat, then we can bring back fisheries and that will really benefit both for jobs and for seals. Okay. Oh, listen. Okay. Listen, continued good luck with the fantastic work that you do at Seal Rescue Ireland. And uh, we thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Melanie Croce there of Seal Rescue Ireland. As I say, so many people saying horrified to hear that there would ever be a case where people would be allowed a licence to go out and shoot seals. I just, you know, those puppy dog eyes that a seal has how you could look one of those animals in the face and take out a rifle perfectly healthy you know whatever about if you had to for, for even for euthanasia purposes I don't even know if I could choose a seal I really don't but anyway um, thanks to Melanie Croce's, Croce as I say of uh, Seal Rescue Ireland 1850 our lines are open John Paul and Byrne, John Paul and Sadie, sorry, you're taking uh, your calls there. I'm looking at the screen. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to give this a mention because there's been a couple of calls in about fuel allowance when I mentioned tomorrow is the 1st of October. And there already is a, the last week or so has been a bit of a nip in the air, hasn't it? The morning certainly getting colder. People are asking about the fuel allowance. What's happening with the fuel allowance? The 2020-2021 fuel allowance season started this week. It started on Monday the 28th and it's expected to run until April of 2021. So if you get your fuel allowance and you get it on a weekly basis, then when you pick up whatever payment you're getting, whatever pension you're getting, uh, your fuel allowance will be paid out this week. And I'm assuming it's the, I know some people in recent years have opted to get it in two lump sums. If it's in two lump sums, I'm assuming the first half of that lump sum will be paid uh, this week. Now, just before we go to the break and Peter Dowdle will be up next, I just want to go to the phone line where Adrian uh, joins us from Skibbereen. Good afternoon to you, Adrian. Hello, I didn't expect to be on the radio. No, you're, you're absolutely fine. You join um, us because you want to say a big thank you to the Skibbereen Geriatric Society. You... I do indeed, Linda and all her crew. Um, they were absolutely marvellous with, with us all yesterday. They got us out, they were safe and secure and uh, I can't thank them enough really. And are you are you back in your apartment now? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've gone back in, Patricia. Um, I can see all the damage has done. Oh, obviously, it's outside my back window, and I can see all the damage has been done. It's bad. Um, yeah, it's it's not very nice, really. But, and were uh, you in your apartment? Did you see the yes, fires? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. And one of my neighbours come down shouting fire, fire, and I thought, you know, is that one too many sherries, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, 
but you know they they were to, uh, the the guards the fire brigade and everybody was absolutely brilliant and they gathered all of you up and there's eight in total is there in the different departments yeah um well i live in you, you wouldn't know where they are but um but there, there were seven individual apartments okay. and uh, and they just looked after us so well where know. where did you stay last night uh, in the West Cork Hotel, and and I don't know if this is going out live on air. It is. I, I ended up uh, early this morning listening to Trump and Biden going at it, oh. hammer and tongs. <laughs> I couldn't sleep, you know. And did you get a nice breakfast before you left? Yeah. <laughs> Good, they're great. They're a great bunch oh, in the West Cork Hotel. Oh, okay, they're, they're listen, lovely. we appreciate that. So a big thank you to everybody who helped out, in particularly the Geriatric Society in Skibbereen. Yeah. But Adrian, it's good to know you're all safe and sound and that's the most important thing. Everybody and was kept safe. Back in our own brilliant, brilliant. As well. but thank you very much. No problem. I don't know if, it, don't know if it's gone on there. It not, is. It's you're, you're out live at the moment. You're out live oh at the, on God live at the moment. Say. Well done. But thank you very much anyway. OK, Patricia. you've done great. God Thanks. bless you. And God you bless too. You, all. you too. Bye-bye. What a lovely man. It's Adrian O'Connor who lives in one of those apartments at Skipperine Geriatric Society and I suppose he's speaking on behalf of all of the residents who got evacuated yesterday just for their own safety. I mean, thankfully they were all OK and their apartments were all OK which is the important thing and they're, and they're back home now. So well done to everybody who helped out there and to the West Cork Hotel in Skipperine for looking after them all last night. 1850 Three. Let's take a break and we're back with uh, Peter Dowdle answering your gardening questions after these. Cross Cork City and County. This is Cork Today on C103. And uh, Peter Dowdle of the IrishGardener.com joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well. And you were missed the last two weeks, I can tell you. Every yeah. Wednesday, I had people, well, is Peter on? Well, is Peter on? So it's, yeah. go- it's good to have you back. Lots of people have questions. Let's get straight in. Good to be Sarah back. Sarah in Carrigaline has emailed uh, the programme to say, uh, Patricia, uh, Peter, firstly, many thanks for all your excellent answers. Now, Sarah's questions. I have two red robins, seven feet high. They're in 50 litre pots. How will I know when they need repotting to larger pots? They have to stay in pots. When is the best time to do this? And any tips for doing it effectively? Okay, well, well, Sarah, first of all, you're very welcome and flattery will always get you everywhere. So <laughs> with the, with the, when you have um, red, red robins growing in a pot, they will grow fine in pots long term. But you'll kind of know when they need repotting because they look hungry. If you, 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 uh, it's a vague answer, but to say that you, you'll know it when it happens because they'll look sparse. They'll probably start dropping a lot of the leaves um, where they should be a good, thick, dense evergreen with lots of red foliage. They look sparse. They, they become see-through. They'll start dropping leaves and at that stage uh, it's time to repot them. Now with good pruning, so in other words prune them let's say end of February and probably again kind of around this time of the year um, that'll keep them good and bushy to a degree and feeding them with something like the nature safe liquid seaweed will will keep them good in a pot Um, but even with all that they will get to the point where they need repotting and that's when your pruning and feeding and everything won't thicken them up. That's when they need to be repotted. Uh, Did she say what size they are now? I know she said a 50 litre pot. Seven feet high at the moment. I'd say they're probably near enough to being at the stage of, of needing repotting. Um, and I, how to do it? It's very, very simple. You just knock the pot off it, which, which you know, okay, seven feet in a 50 litre pot, there'll be a bit of weight in it. 
if you want somebody strong or two people to do it, uh, just kind of lift the plant up into the air as much as you can and knock the pot off it. Might need a shovel or a spade or even a little hammer just to get it off. Uh, presuming it's a plastic pot, um, and then in, I would put it into a pot ideally twice the size, twice the diameter, and twice the volume of what it's in. Um, gently tease the root ball if you like, because the, the roots will be, be at this or when it needs repotting, the boots the roots will be going around in circles. So you want to tease those root the, the extremities of the roots so that they make good contact with the new compost quickly and then you just put in let's say fill the new pot about a third with fresh compost put in the red robin and fill up around the sides make sure you're firming it in make sure you get as much compost in there as possible um, and then it's just a question of watering and feeding and uh, they'll get to a point of course where you can't go bigger on the pots uh, and that's when the, the feeding and pruning really becomes important. Okay. Hi, Peter. This is somebody by WhatsApp who sent in pictures, which we were then able to forward on to Peter. Can you please help identify an apple tree, which I have in my garden? It produces cooking apples, which then turn yellow and sweet when ripe. Looking it up online, I think it might be a grenadier. Could you advise repruning some pictures attached? And there are pictures and it is green and then it looks like suddenly it's gone yellow. Well, it is um, it is possibly grenadier, and with the wonders, of course, of modern communication, Trish, I saw that message uh, JP sent it to me. I would say about six minutes ago, and it's now those pictures have now been seen by over seventeen thousand people <laughs> because I put it up on my I put it up on my own Facebook page looking for suggestions to see because I'm not certain that it's grenadier, and it's always hard to tell. But I think it probably is because grenadier can nearly do as a, as an eater. It can be so such a sweet cooker, uh, and but it just looks that bit grenadier. If anybody wants to have a look at my the pictures are on my, my Facebook page, Irish Gardener, and you'll see what I mean. It looks quite quite a long apple, where grenadiers tend to be that bit more round and plump. Um, but but from the description of the flavour and the colour, I would say it, I'm going to go probably. I'm certainly not going to say definitely. Okay. <laughs> but in and terms of pruning, pruning, in terms of pruning, yeah, November is the, the time to do it with all apple trees. So she doesn't say whether it's a mature one. I'm guessing it's quite mature. And she doesn't say whether it's been pruned recently or not. So I'm guessing that it hasn't. Uh, the fact that she's looking for advice on it. So what you're doing then is you're you're doing what's called restorative pruning, Trish. Um, which means it's kind of as it sounds you're trying to restore or rejuvenate the tree which means removing a lot of the older growth a lot of the older wood now if it's very old and hasn't been pruned in years you you certainly wouldn't go too severe in it in in one go you might remove let's say a third or maybe as much as a half of the older growth growth uh, this november and then follow up next year removing the other half or the other two thirds um and really what you're trying to do is create a good open centre to the tree to allow good air circulation through it, which will hopefully prevent a lot of the fungal infections that would affect apples like scab and things like that getting in there. Um, so a good open centre, remove a lot of the older growth, remove uh, any crossing branches, because when they rub together, that's perfect place for number one, poor air circulation. But number two, uh, when they when they rub together, the, you're, you're creating wounds on the branches and infection will get in there as well. So you want no crossing branches, a good open centre to remove a lot of the, the 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 older wood, any dead wood, obviously, or disease material, get rid of as well. You wouldn't worry too much about going into the technicalities now of looking for the fruiting spurs and how to, to retain them. You'd be looking more at that next year and the year after. Okay, and another picture came in with a question from a listener saying, my glasshouse tomato plants are still flowering. Should I stop the growth? They also seem to have been infested with some kind of an aphid. I have tried spraying them with the garlic, but with no improvement. Pictures were attached, which I think were sent on to you. 
Okay, no, I didn't quite see them, but with with the tomato greenhouse tomato plants, yeah, at, we're, we're coming into October. We are in October, and no, it's tomorrow. We're coming into October, so I think I would stop the growth at this stage. Certainly, uh, you want the growth now, and any more vigor that's going to come into the plant, you want that to go into the existing fruits and to ripen them. Um, so yes to that part. In terms of the aphids, if the, the garlic wash works very very well as a preventative, it doesn't always work that well when there is an infestation already. So I would say the best thing to do at this stage is remove a lot of the foliage, um, and hopefully a lot of the aphids will go with it. If they're in a glass house, keep keep it well ventilated, and even if you can see aphids, um, just try getting them physically removing them with a spray of water. Uh, I, and I certainly wouldn't be putting any chemicals on because. Because it's um, it's obviously you're going to be yeah. eating it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Anne in West Cork, just Peter, his advice, please. The best hedging for an exposed, windy area: a beech or a griselinia, and I'm going to plant it bare root. I would go neither of those actually for an exposed windy area. Well, of the two, uh, beach is my my, my favourite hedge. Probably I love the beach hedge. I love the the winter look of the beach. But but it wouldn't be great. It's not the best for an exposed area. Grislinia would certainly be better of those two. But my my choice for uh, of the best hedge for an exposed area is, is one called Aliagnus. Uh, a bit of a mouthful of a name, but it makes a lovely hedge. Aliagnus abingii. It's a kind of grey leafed, grey green leafed, very very silver new growth. It's a it's a stunning looking hedge. Flowers too around this time of the year you don't really notice the flowers but you do get the scent from them but you don't really see them uh, but they're good for the pollinators and the bees at this time of the year as well but it's it's i've planted that in many many gardens that are you know really exposed to, to the atlantic and it, it does well so best choice i think for an exposed area would be the aliagnus okay hi peter how soon should you start to cut the grass on a new lawn it's patchy but it is growing also what is the best plant for boundary i like copper and green beech, but do they lose their leaves in the winter months thanking you Dealing with the lawn first, you kind of go with your gut on that one as opposed to the textbook answer. So if you th- kind of if you think it's long enough and you think it needs cutting, I'd get out there and cut it. You're certainly not going to do any harm really by cutting it too early. If you cut it a bit too early, well, firstly the the the, the grass the, the lawnmower the, the grass won't be high enough, so the lawnmower won't do anything to it. You might just end up sucking up some of the seed into the machine if you do it too early. But I wouldn't worry too much about it. So if you think it needs it, I would do it. You would normally say if you sowed it in August September, you'd say about four weeks after sowing, maybe five weeks. It would be the first cut uh, so that might help um, in terms of boundary planting I just said it beach copper and green beach probably Same my favourite hedge yeah. of all yeah yeah um, I love it. It, it they don't lose their leaves over the winter now they might in their first year and even their second year but when it knits together as a hedge they don't lose them but they go brown so you have that lovely rusty uh coppery brown look during the winter which as I say I love because I think it's very very seasonal and then the beautiful new lime green spring growth comes and pushes it off in March and April and you know it's it's really I think it's a lovely hedge because it changes with the seasons but it's not to everybody's it's not to everybody's um taste uh, and it's not it's not to 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 uh to the taste of at home when the leaves when mm-hmm. they do fall off in the spring and they blow in the front door I'm in trouble every year but uh, but but I still love it I put up with the trouble um, but yeah I would go with it as a hedge I think it's lovely Joan in Mill Street question for Peter please what is the best thing to do with dead leaves dead flowers sorry on a hydrangea. Uh, I would be, phew, there's two schools of thought in it Trish you can leave the hydrangea completely alone until next spring and cut it back let's say towards the end of February removing dead flowers and, and pruning it back at that stage and the, the, the reason for leaving everything on it is 
that it protects the the inside of the plant if you like it they act like a bit of a blanket or a duvet protecting the plant the the, the inside of the plant from any frost damage so the frost and any snow that we get will 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 stay on the outside of the plant and not go into the inside that's why you would leave it till till the end of february if you're brave and if you think we're not going to get severe winter you could do it now um i certainly wouldn't prune it now but you could deadhead it now and remove the dead flowers now so it, again it's kind of up to yourself some people myself included quite like the look of the the dead hydrangea flowers again because I think it's quite a nice winter look but it, it's a personal one yeah and similar with uh, Ger wants to know about the gladiolas they finished flowering what to do with them please when when they finish flowering uh, it's very same as the daffodils really you could remove the flower first if you want but certainly leave the foliage so let the let the leaves turn brown and let all the goodness go back into the the bulb which is the food reserve for next year so let them go brown uh, and die off then cut them to ground level um, and then you can either leave the bulbs on the ground or I suppose the textbook advice would be to take the bulbs out and plant them out again next February. OK, all right, we'll leave it there. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Peter. Have a good week. We'll talk next week. And you, Trish. Thanks, Thanks a million. And very quickly on driver's licence. Hi, Patricia. I just want to say I know I have an appointment. My driver's licence is out tomorrow. I got an appointment for the 15th of October. It was the nearest date I could get and I have to go to Tralee in Mallow. The only one was available at the end of next month. What happens if I'm stopped by the uh, Gardaí? Uh, have the letter with you or the text message or the email with you to show that you've got a driving licence appointment uh, date and that'll do you. OK, that's what we leave you for today my thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls we're back with you tomorrow for Thursday's edition of the programme Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I said we'll be with you tomorrow with 10 to the 9 Patricia Messenger look after yourself and stay safe Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.